Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. I'm Michael Curzon and I'm joined this week by FD Wicket. Sam, how are you? Good, Michael. It's just us today. It is just us. Luke has gone. Just two of us. He's not been banned. He'll be back next week, I'm sure. Um, Whether that's good or bad news for the listeners, (laughs) yet to be seen. But yes, there, there might be fewer of us, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's fewer stories to go over. And almost like a broken record, I think we'll have to start on vaccines because the pressure is really being upped at the moment for um, especially young people to get vaccinated in this country. This morning, Grant Shapps, the Transport Secretary, said if you're in your 20s, you'll never be able to travel internationally again if you're not vaccinated. So that that made it sound like this is much more long-term than anybody ever hoped. And of course, one of the biggest stories of the week is about university and whether or not students will be able to go and live in halls in September this year, whether they'll be able to physically, properly attend lectures if they've not been vaccinated. And the hinting at the moment is that they won't, although a lot of Tory MPs say that this is all bluff, that it's being put forward to scare people into getting vaccinated. And then by September, they'll pull out and say, no, actually, we can go ahead as normal. What do you think about that, Sam? Is this bluffing or is there a bit of truth behind all this? Well, it's hard to say because at this point, the 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 purposeful discombobulation of what's happening has kind of gone into overdrive where there's constant U-turns, constant back and forth, constant flip-flopping um, that I really don't know with any confidence. I really hope it's a bluff. That, that's what I'll say. I mean, you know, um, not necessarily for myself, but for, because I'm not at university, but um, anyone who is and doesn't, you know, particularly feel like taking this thing, um, yeah, I feel enormous sorrow for them because they, again, like I said, they don't know if this is a bluff or not either. So, you know, someone who really doesn't want to take this may now feel that they have no choice. Well, one of the interesting things is that, that Dominic Raab on TV on Thursday Um, essentially said that the decision will be made in September, but students will be given warning. Now, of course, the university term starts in September. So if the decision is not going to be made until September, then there really isn't very much warning that students will receive, especially given that if, you know, say if they were to say you have to be vaccinated and someone thought, right, well, I'm going to have to do it then it would take at least eight weeks to get both vaccines, which would be required. So uh, the first two months of university would be missed. So I think a lot of students, um, and maybe this is the point of it, will say, actually, I don't want to risk waiting that long and then missing the first two months of university, which arguably are the most important in terms of meeting the friends that you have the whole time and setting up your second year accommodation when you go into housing rather than halls a lot of people will just say i'm gonna have to do it i haven't got much choice i'm not gonna be able to go on holiday this summer if i don't do it and not very far down the line we're in almost near the end of uh july already Uh, in fact this is the last day of july isn't it the second to last day um i won't be able to go to university either so i'm just gonna have to do it and face up to it Mm -hmm. there's a there's a second component which is um a byproduct of the the propaganda targeting of young people, where in a, you know in a in a group of friends, um, say our age and slightly younger, um, it seems like they're trying to make the you know, the unvaccinated friend in the group as, as sort of a, a social pariah, a sort of leper. Absolutely. Well, we were talking before we started recording that it was it was Dominic Raab, wasn't it, who 
admitted on TV that the, the vaccine mm. passport was there essentially to, quote, cajole and coax young people into getting vaccinated. Now, of course, it wants to do it itself as the government. It wants universities to do this by saying you can't come if you're not vaccinated and businesses. But its ideal situation is to get other young people to be saying this to their peers, to their friends, to their neighbours, uh, brothers and sisters. All that. That's that's what they want, which is why we see a lot of advertisements at the minute with young people saying, you you know, there's been this many people vaccinated and this many more people can get vaccinated. We can get vaccinated. We've all got to do it so we can live our lives. It's what we've got to do. Um, the pressure that the government wants um, is pressure from young people to young people. That is what they think would be the most effective. No one, no one has yet to explain to me convincingly why anyone under 40 should take the vaccine. No, no. And, and when you see, I mean, I remember the report come out of just how many people under the age of 18 have died from COVID, which was sort of very quietly released because it was barely into double figures. It was something like the low 20s. Mm. Um, and that, of course, could also have been overrepresented with the whole died after 28 days of testing positive, which itself is very shady. So, yeah, there's, there's no reason in terms of self-protection unless someone is extremely clinically vulnerable, which was going to be those who were first uh, targeted for vaccine below the age of 18, which I think there's some argument for if there's certain people who are particularly susceptible to this. Um, and then, of course, the other argument, as we were told uh, by another minister the other day, I think it might have been Michael Gove, who essentially said, um, you're selfish if you don't get vaccinated because you're putting other people at risk. But of course, this doesn't really make sense because those other people, vulnerable older people or people who are, you know, um, of higher age brackets, have themselves been fully vaccinated. So is the government admitting that the vaccine in that case doesn't work? that if a young person passes it on to an old person who is fully vaccinated, they could still you know, face mortal risk from it. In which case, is the, is the young person getting vaccinated going to make much of a difference? I don't know about that. Well, the, there's, there's two doors and behind both is a brick wall because if the vaccine works or it doesn't work, either way, vaccine passports don't make any sense. No, certainly. Um, I mean, one of the interesting points about vaccine passports that um, I think it was Hugh Osman uh, tweeted last week, he was the, the founder of Punch Taverns, was that, say, in three months' time, we need a vaccine passport to go into an event. And as uh, the, the vaccine minister, Nadim Zahawi, has said, uh, negative tests will not suffice anymore. So I go to this event, and I have COVID, but I'm fully vaccinated. I show my vaccine passport, and they say, yes, please come in. Yet one of my friends isn't vaccinated they don't have the virus and they're told no you've got to stay out you're not allowed in makes no sense it's it's mm. incomprehensible that they could say this but it doesn't matter because today on friday it was announced uh, well i say announced again it was put on without an announcement but some people picked up on it that the vaccine passport has actually been added to the nhs app and already i think again it might have been uh, chefs that says that it was a good uh, proper policy for businesses to say you're not allowed back in the office unless you've been vaccinated so whether it makes sense or not whether it's discriminatory or not whether it oversteps a line which i think we've been getting closer and closer to over the past year of lockdowns doesn't matter to the government it's going ahead with them it can't be um dissuaded from doing that and indeed when you look at the opposition it looks very unlikely that it would ever be dissuaded from doing that and that it seems is our future
Mm. We'll we'll get on to the opposition in a bit, but um, so last night I I was out and I was uh just looking out the window of the pub and I saw um like a, a an ad board and it had a, had a picture of um a guy with some uh, tickets for a football game and it said I take a shot in the arm to go to the football, right? And it, it's it's part of the you know, the wider propaganda campaign to get young people who aren't at risk from the virus who who objectively gain virtually nothing from taking the vaccine nor does anyone else in society because anyone who's at risk has already been inoculated it's just it's so powerfully dystopian that it's just it's it's just everywhere you look you know yeah and it's again it's normalizing the idea that in order to live a normal life you need to take a medical procedure against your will if you don't want to take it it's um yeah, it's 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 very concerning. But as we were saying before we recorded, if we look at what has just been announced over in the Philippines, um, despite the uh, the abject nightmare of what we're going through at the moment, we're uh, uh, ironically one of the lucky ones. Yeah, well, the, the Philippine Philippine president has come out today and said, if you're unvaccinated, you must stay in your home. If you're le- if you leave your home, the police and the authorities will take you back to your home and quote. For all I care, you can die anytime. So, you know, the, the message at least there is quite clear. Um, in, in the US, we're going back and forth, back and forth on face masks. Don't wear them inside, do wear them inside. If you're vaccinated, you don't need to. Actually, if you're vaccinated, you do need to. Um, in the Philippines, the message is very clear. Your president doesn't care if you die um, and you're not allowed to leave your home. Hmm. So, yeah, it is one of those strange uh, scenarios where you flick through the papers and think, crikey, this uh, this idea that I need a vaccine to go to the football ground is fairly lucky compared to other people, which is you know, an amazing situation. See, a, a, a popular uh, rhetorical point of people who are fanatically in favour of this sort of thing is to decry the conspiracy theorists, right? But when you, when you think about, when you look at the sort of messing around at the moment, you can really just see where they come from, right? Because yeah. if you break it down, none of it makes any sense. Right. Like I said earlier, whether the vaccine works or doesn't work, the result is the same, just that vaccine passports are completely pointless. Yet, and also, if you look at um, the things that the, that the PM has said in private uh, through the leaked uh, WhatsApp messages, it does start to ask raise questions in your head, like who's actually in charge here? Mm. You know, it, it seems quite interesting that all the major world leaders have just fallen into lockstep on this, right? Absolutely. I, I, there's one of those funny lines um, about vaccination, well, about the, the virus generally, where they say it's a virus so deadly, you have to be tested to know that you've even got it. And you can add to that now that it's a virus that's so deadly, you need to be persuaded with ad campaigns costing millions and constantly thrown down off throats by celebrities, influencers, politicians and friends to get a vaccine to protect you from it, mm. uh, which I think mm. is a pretty extraordinary situation. Yeah, it's it's a it's a virus so deadly that um you might not even know you have it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you probably won't, especially if you're a certain age bracket. As I say, unless you test, and even if you test, you don't really know if you've got it or not, since it's it's quite likely to be a, a false positive. That's another mm. matter. Mm. Yeah, or at least is it one in three people haven't got symptoms or anything? Like that? I think they say that one in three people who is pinged goes on to get COVID, but that was a high estimate. I think another estimate. Um, well, certainly amongst uh, school students, they said that 
can't remember it exactly, but it was something like 98.4, let's say. I think it was that, actually. 98.4 don't go on to get the virus. So 1.6% uh, do go on to get it. And of course, being young children, the likelihood of them being harmed as a result of that is minimal. The far bigger harm is the pinging going on with the, the pandemic. I mean, every single week, for the past three weeks, we've seen a uh, record high number of pings being sent out. It's nearing 700,000 now. And that, of course, is just one component of the, the test and trace regime. The other part is test and trace itself, which contacts people. And then you've got the, the school isolation rules and all this. Um, and on that, actually, one story which I found really disturbing from uh, yesterday on Thursday, it was from France, uh, surprise, surprise, which said that in schools, from now on, or when these you know the new vaccine passport rules come in, uh, students, if there's a positive test in the classroom, vaccinated students can carry on being in the class. They're allowed to stay. But unvaccinated students down to the age of 12, so a 12-year-old who hasn't had the vaccine in France, will be told, your class can stay, but you've got to go home. You're not allowed to be here. They're sent home for a week. I find that really disturbing. You can just imagine it, someone walking into the classroom and saying, right, you're barred, all your friends can stay, but you must go home. What kind of message do that, does that send to someone at the, the, the sort of meager age of 12? Really disturbing. Mm -hmm. And um, going back to the, um, the thing about uh, universities, there's been an un unlikely hero here saying um, it's you know, the the National Union of Students and the UCU have come out against this thing. You know, two two bodies which um, on every other issue are completely off the mark and rather deranged um, have both come out and said that um, while they encourage young people to take the vaccine, the compulsory element is is wrong and appalling. Um, the uh, the UCU described it as being uh, hugely discriminatory. And the NUS called it um, appalling. So, um, yeah, it seems there's a, a whole lot of uh, unlikely heroes coming out of the woodwork at the moment. Yeah, well, I think when you look into the reason for their heroism, let's say, um, it's unsurprisingly normally to do with race. They say because it's been found out that, uh, that black people or uh, Asian people are in many circumstances less likely to get vaccinated for cultural reasons uh, or whatever reason, um, that if vaccine passports were to be introduced, it would sort of disproportionately affect them. So I think their reasoning is, is less actually because they think uh, certification based on someone's vaccination status is discriminatory. But in a time like this, we take our allies where we can get them when they're so few and far between. It doesn't matter why they agree. If they agree, we'll have it. Hmm. And now let's look over to the continent where... Um... I'm watching a video right now of uh, incredible scenes of chaos within the Italian parliament where um, a bunch of uh, parliamentarians have stormed the chamber and uh, with signs saying no green pass and uh, chaos appears to be erupting there. Um, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and maybe come back to that next week. Yeah, well, in the US as well, uh, either this morning or, or last night, a lot of senators went into the Senate building without their masks on because the, the CDC has done a U-turn saying, oh, actually, vaccinated people do have to wear masks after all this time. And, and do you remember, by the way, we talked about this on the Weekend Review and we'd laughed about it uh, at other times as well. The Joe Biden message, he said, the message is clear. Mm -hmm. Get vaccinated. You don't need to wear a mask. 
well, it turns out it wasn't so clear because it's been uh, swapped over. You now do have to go and wear a mask. So senators walked into the building all unmasked. You got Ron, Ron DeSantis, the uh, the Floridan uh, senator, saying, "This no, is nonsense. governor, governor, sorry, uh, saying this is nonsense. No more mask mandates. No more lockdowns. No more school closures. We need to send a message that this has to stop." So it is picking up slightly, it seems, but maybe that's just a response to the fact that the the oppressors are also picking up their campaigns. There's far more going on in the way of vaccine passports, uh, in the way of continuing mask and distancing measures, all this sort of stuff, after so-called Freedom Day, after our lives were supposed to be returned to us. But of course, as we always knew, they really wouldn't be, or at least not that easily. Mm -hmm. Well, when we talk about COVID, it's almost always about the Conservative Party's measures, the government, that is. Um, but of course, also in Parliament, as we could quite easily be forgiven for forgetting, is the Labour Party. And so we wanted to talk today about the state of opposition. Um, now, I remember Peter Hitchens making a really interesting point about the Iraq war, that when we talk about the Iraq war, the sudden thought, I'm sure you had it then and listeners will have done, was Blair. Blair did this, Blair did that. The Labour Party allowed the Iraq war, but of course the Conservative Party also supported it. We forget that. It opposed nothing uh, regarding that situation. And we're, we're in the same thing here. In the future, I hope people will look back on lockdowns and say Boris Johnson allowed this to happen. The Conservative Party disgraced its name and allowed this to happen. But also, we shouldn't forget that the Labour Party has been complicit in almost everything, calling only for things to be stricter, harsher, to have been imposed earlier and to have lasted longer. Um, so I think that's a, a worthy story for us to talk today about. Yeah, we've, we've, we've covered it a few times. We, we covered it last week where Labour's opposition to the vaccine passport was simply that it, it um, the the net cast was too narrow as opposed to the fundamental moral question of um, should you be legally required to divulge private medical information? Um, yeah, the, the, the Labour Party is a, a complete mess. And honestly, all it can really do is is polemicise, right? Because, I mean, due to the COVID Act, the, the government can now completely sidestep the opposition. The, um, the only voting rights that the opposition really have is the the supposed vaccine passport vote in parliament and the next vote on whether or not to extend the um the covid act for another term um yeah the labor party is 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 done absolutely nothing to prevent the um dystopian nightmare we're so close to um even you know even um before this became a hot button issue the labor party's only opposition to only critique of the government's approach to lockdown was that they didn't lock down harder, faster. Yeah. And I think even on vaccine passports, the message is really unclear. As we highlighted last week, it was more of a, it also needs to include testing, which itself is a pain because um, it, different reports say different things as they always do. But some suggest that you'd need to have a negative test two days before going to an event. So that could have someone needing to test sort of like three, four times a week um, just to go to restaurants, to bars, to see a football game, uh, to go to a nightclub, anything like this. So it is still obviously there, um, as, as the government admits to, because you old people into getting the vaccine by 
making them not want uh, to. Okay, let's just okay. Let's just get one, one thing clear though. Cajole is far too light a word. The word is bully. Well, yeah, yeah. What is manipulate and bully? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, threaten as well. It's basically saying don't do this. You have no social life. Uh, or, or education, as it increasingly seems to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're right, that's that's not what Labour criticised. All they criticised was it should also include testing. And again, that was more because of the race matter than because of the matter about liberty, that old, long-gone, forgotten word. Um, so it has been disappointing. And I think one of the problems with Labour more generally is that it kind of knows the people it needs to attract are those who support a lot of Boris's other measures, uh, or at least stated measures, they're not actually carried out, around crime, for example, around immigration. So it, it has a tricky job trying to say, no, you're wrong on this, this is what we should be doing instead, when it knows, actually, we need to be saying these things, we need to be the ones winning these measures. Um, and I think especially now, that you know the the NHS story has been completely taken up by the Conservative Party, and forever now, when we think of the NHS, we'll think of Boris instructing us to clap on our doorsteps. Labour is going to have an even harder time to find a point to actually present as its own to say this is what we stand for. It could always say we stand for the NHS. We're the party of the NHS. No one's going to believe that anymore because it you know every every vaccination milestone, say, is accredited to the Conservative Party. Mm. For a long time, it was accredited to Matt Hancock. But I'm sure the press will try and forget that quickly. Um, so, yeah, what is it that the Labour Party is actually going to grab hold of in the future and say, this is us, this is what we do? I don't really know, personally. But my, my, my mind is completely blank. The, um, oh, the only party in, in the Commons that's really... Um, stepping up and, and tackling this this beast is the is quite humorously the, the the liberal democrats i think they finally uh discovered or rediscovered their name um yeah no it's true and you know there's a slight bit of hope in that some more conservatives have come out saying we'll vote against uh the vaccine passport measures i think we're up to 50 now mm. all the lib dems but the labor party i'm not sure because even even relating to you know, football stadiums and things like that, Keir Starmer wasn't very wasn't very anti passports. In an interview on the radio just a couple of days ago, in this week, he, he wasn't in favour of it when it came to universities, education, what he called everyday things. You can still go to a shop to the doctors, um, but when he talked about you know the luxury things, so called, or that is the things that keep us going, uh, such as you know, football grounds and who knows that might even extend to pubs uh he was a lot less firm so yeah, i'm not sure just how how effective as with every other measure over the past 18 months this opposition is going to be when it comes to this the the, the, the part that really strikes sort of a tang of terror into my into my heart is that there's no sunset clause mm. there's been no speak of any sunset clause right on on this you know so as far as we're concerned this is now indefinite yeah well, as, as I said earlier, um, Grant Shapps, the Transport Secretary, told young people you won't be able to travel internationally again if you don't get vaccinated. Now, I don't know if that was a slip up or if that was you know, a, a purposefully deviant statement, which he knew wasn't true, but sounded more firm and so was more likely to, as you say, bully people into getting vaccinated. Or if that's a matter of fact, if you know, we, we've talked a lot about the ideas of booster 
vaccines that we the vaccine passport now and entry into places is about being fully vaccinated that is two vaccines but who's to say that in six months time the definition of fully vaccinated changes to mean free well, well um F- pfizer are already saying that right they're already saying they're already preparing for us for a third jab so there we go this is the ratchet right um first it was a vulnerable then then it was you know down by down by down in the age groups to to now, now everyone's been offered it and then it's going to be compulsory and then it's going to be rolling right mm. then you have to be constantly up to date constantly up to date and like we were, we've been saying this for such a long time and we've got sneered at and pushed aside and going yeah never mind that's not going to happen you're a conspiracy theorist and now it's happening now it's happening because it's one by one by one you know um, i use the analogy of um the frog in boiling water right like, yeah, like yeah. that that is you know, the the we're at boiling point and this is it's going on and on and on if they if they bring in one the requirement to be vaccinated up to date to do anything resembling normal life and two if it's recurring yearly it's game over we've we've, we've crossed the rubicon there mm. and i still feel no more inclined to take the jab even though I'm watching my liberty slip away from me, I'm still no more convinced than I was last month. Yeah, well, it's one of those where being told that if you don't do one thing, then you can't do something else that you want to do makes you less likely to want to do it. Um, In many cases, uh, it sort of boosts our displeasure at the government and our disinclination to join in with this scheme. And I I understand Mm -hmm. that, I feel the same. it frustrates me. Um, and in my head, I keep saying, oh, they're just doing this to to scare people into it. When it comes to September, they'll drop a load of the requirements, which is sort of what Israel did after a short while. But, you know, I think it will go ahead in France. Clearly, it's going ahead in the Philippines. Um, and yeah, I, part of me does actually think this will really go ahead in this country. And that at least for some time, we will be limited in the things that we can do in our normal lives. Mm. Yeah. And speaking of uh, limiting the things we can do in our normal lives, um, we'll, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm taking the lead here. But we'll, we'll, let's move along to uh, the story from the London School of Economics. Can you lead on that? Because yes, you know, yes, sorry. Sorry. Um, one of the things that we consider to be, you know, uh, a, a part of normal life is the idea of free association, the idea that you and like-minded individuals can form a club and you can form a club with a certain um, set of guiding principles. Maybe it's a devotion to a certain um, political or economic principle or a certain figure. And we're talking about the, um, the uh, Friedrich Hayek Society at the London School of Economics. That's anyone listening who doesn't know who Hayek is. He was a, an economist um, of the Austrian school, I believe, which is a sort of um, very uh, free market um, school of economics. Uh, Hayek was a, um, a fellow at the London School of Economics. He um, wrote a number of very influential texts, uh, most notably uh, The Road to Serfdom, uh, I believe The Constitution of Liberty as well. Um, but now the Hayek Society, which is one of the oldest societies at the university, is now under threat from the LSE Class War Society. Um, class War, a uh, quite bizarre group, I, I first became aware of because they were harassing uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg outside of his home in front of his children. Mm. They're a group of um, London-based, um, 
I say they're probably like classical Marxists because they're purely economic and purely class focused. They're very against uh, gentrification, uh, just anyone with any any money, uh, really. Um, now, first of all, parents, I imagine, in many cases. Mm. Yes. Well, they probably hate them too, but wouldn't mind if some inheritance was passed down. <laughs> well, the first thing that happened, first thing to point out is the fact that there's um the fact, the fact that there's a class war society at the London School of Economics is quite funny, considering it's it's sort of a breeding ground for finance. Um, but yes, they've they've um, been lobbying to have the Hayek Society um, disbanded by force because. Um, they they take it to believe that the Austrian School of Economics um, shouldn't exist, and nor should any group that attempts to celebrate its its existence. But, you know, I, I'm not an Austrian school myself, but um, it, the the idea that you can just call for a group of people to be banned from university because you don't like their economic ideology is absurd, absurdly entitled. Yeah, well, I'm I'm not surprised by this at all. I've had a lot of debates with people about free speech at university and I think one of the biggest things about it um, or at least a few years ago when I first went to uni wasn't that um, people were simply being cancelled or that societies were being cancelled but that many people felt too scared to say things in public places even at debates places set out for the free discussion of ideas they were scared to say things because they knew what the social consequences of that would be they'd be ostracized so after debates myself or others who would talk about certain things would have people come up to them and uh, and whisper you know their thanks for um, daring to highlight certain issues that they themselves wouldn't and later I got involved with actual society politics I think we talked about this in the first episode of OCP or before uh, with me that is um, and it's it really was hideous how people act about it they take these things so seriously it's like the leading world governments the way people in societies uh, view their importance I mean I remember um, people petitioning to get certain members kicked out of societies for saying unfashionable opinions not insulting or horrible or anything just unpopular they they, they, they tried to to convince you to to get luke perry kicked out right they did yeah and we sent back a quick rebuttal which made them realize the very thing they accused our member of was uh their their members were equally guilty of and that in either case it would be ridiculous to kick out either side um there were when it came to the elections of members on committees people from different societies that is from different political views would join the society to vote against a candidate who they viewed as being particularly conservative say i experienced that didn't make a difference in the end but um sort of rules at universities say that anybody can join any society and and vote so that was one tactic they used and another which i remember quite well um or at least was rumored and i'd certainly believe it was that certain members of certain societies kept folders on their computers of dodgy tweets emails messages uh occurrences whatever just whole folders of bad occurrences that if anybody from uni ever got big famous writer politician whatever they could leak this folder all of the bad things in their lives and obviously with the view of getting them cancelled further down the line so this is their mindset they don't go into things thinking you know what's the how can we best go about discussion best work out 
sort of setting down our opinions and arguing them and persuading other people. It's right. How can I most effectively remove this person from the political debate and just get them completely out so that I can dominate? It's a very big problem in politics where you look at your adversaries not as an alternative viewpoint based on one's own research and conclusions. It's you're in the way between me and my utopia. You know, mm. you, you're a barrier. You're not, a, you're not an alternative. You're a barrier. Yeah. I think that's probably why conservatives are more uh relaxed about this you you often see that people on the right sort of the the least likely to not want to be friends with someone of a different opinion that's what polling suggests anyway and i think it's it might partly because we don't have that view of utopia that we don't think it's possible to get to this perfect land anyway so there's it's not possible that someone is in the way of that it's just something which is an impossibility in the first place uh, which is probably why we're we're more interested in discussion and why no matter how many times people complain about Peter Tutkin being on the Week in Review, we'll keep having him on because it's interesting to have the, the opposing opinion from time to time. Let me just read out the statement from LSE Class War. Um, we believe in a no-platform policy for those who discuss ideas which promote ideologies that are harmful to marginalised students. Okay, let's just stop there and say... If you're studying at the London School of Economics, one of the best universities in, in the country and are basically a fast track into a high paying career in the financial services or the, or the um, public sector, you're probably not marginalised. Mm. Continuing, uh, LSE Hayek Society promotes free market fundamentalist views which outwardly call for the oppression of working class people. These kind of ideas have no place on campus. We also want other societies that promote these views to be dissolved from LSE dissolved that's i mean i'm again i understand that this this is class war but that sounds like something straight out of a soviet politburo yeah it does it does it's just the the obnoxiousness of all this their self-importance uh and the view as we said that uh it's their opinion that matters and anybody else's not only doesn't matter but shouldn't even be heard. It's not worth the time of day. Should just be eradicated, and then we can get on with our lives and think properly. Mm -hmm. If truth. if if like me, you aren't particularly in favour of free market fundamentalism, you could just simply not be a free market fundamentalist. That's uh, that's all there is. Uh, the thing is, it's a it's a really easy uh, thought system to argue against um it's it's not very difficult i i with ollie stanley who was our economics editor for a while whilst at uni he was pretty much in line with this view and uh we had some some great debates and it's a, it's not a very difficult opinion to argue against i'm sure he'd say the same about mine which is fine and we could have a good debate about that but you know it's it's fairly easy they should just say right we need some public debates let's meet up here and here um and and thrash it out and call it a day after that but no, of course, that's not how it works. Instead, it's uh, essentially, by the sounds of it, the view of the Philippine president. At the end of the day, we don't care if you don't exist. We don't care if you die. We don't care if we can't hear your arguments. Not only that, we want that to be the case. We want not to hear your argument and for your views simply not to exist. And that's the that's the world they've certainly at least trying to create. And I think at the university, they have created it. It's just whether or not that can extend out into wider society and who knows whether when these people are older if they do get in positions of power that probably is something they could introduce and they'd certainly want to hmm. 
Hello, Dystopia. Mm, that's a good idea for the, today's title. There you are on that, I think. We could probably probably call it a day for this week. We've covered some nice jolly stories. Um, see, it's, it, that shows that it's not Luke's presence which makes us miserable. So we'll have to we'll have to have you taken out next week, uh, maybe by the the Class War Society, and we'll see if it's any more jolly then. Uh, but yes, we'll see. On we'll that, see. yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we look forward for you to join us again next week. Cheers. <laughs>